0: Well, good morning, everyone. If you would like to follow the reading this morning from the Church Bibles, then you will see the reference um, on the screen in front of you. We're continuing to read from the book of Revelation. Uh, this morning we're at chapter 19, and in verses 11 to 21, we're reading about the heavenly warrior defeating the beast. I saw heaven standing open, And there, before me, was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in mid-air, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses And their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And we know that the Lord will add his blessing to this reading from Holy Scripture. Thanks, Hilton. Do keep that reading open and let's pray shall we for god's help
1: to understand it and to to live in light of it together father in heaven thank you for your word to us and thank you for the time we have this morning to consider this great subject of the return of the lord jesus from heaven as we do as we think about these things together please would your spirit be both our teacher and our guide and we pray it for jesus sake Amen. I wonder if anyone can tell me what these three fictional heroes have in common. We've got Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. We've got Prince Charming uh, from Sleeping Beauty. And I don't know if you remember the boy, but that's Atreya from the classic never-ending story. Any ideas what the link is between these three characters? It's got something to do with our reading this morning. No one? Go on. It's not a sword. There might be swords as well. But the answer is they all ride on white horses. You see, in the world of literature and film, the white horse is often used as a symbol of victory and conquest. And that's why often our heroes are seen riding on white horses. And you see, it's actually no different here in Revelation chapter 19. Of course, what we have before us isn't from the realm of fairy tale and fiction. What we have before us is a God-given, heavenly perspective on reality. A vision given by Jesus to the Apostle John, who is in exile on the Isle of Patmos, a message to pass on to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, who, as we read about last week, are living under the beastly rule of Rome. And it is a vision that should have brought them great comfort, and it's a vision that should bring us great comfort today as well. A picture of the Lord Jesus as the all-conquering King, returning from heaven to rid this world of its beastly rule and to establish his eternal kingdom. And so what we have before us in this penultimate section of Revelation from chapter 17 through to the end of chapter 20 is the grand finale, the climax of human history the opening of the seventh seal the sounding of the seventh trumpet and the pouring out of the seventh bowl and with it the consummation of god's kingdom if you remember last week we thought about and we read about the destruction of babylon symbolic of this this godless world order proud that it set itself up against god himself and it is an order that will be put down Never to rise again. Babylon will fall. And this week we'll see that the beast and the false prophets will meet their doom also and follow suit. And then in chapter 20, we read about the downfall of Satan himself. And only then, only after the removal of all of God's enemies, will the Lord Jesus bring in his new creation. Which we read about in Revelation chapter 21. And, 22. and right at the heart of that great victory is verse 11. And our picture of our returning king from heaven. I saw, says John, heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. This time it's not just an open door into heaven. But heaven itself is standing wide open. It's like the curtain is being pulled right back to give us a fuller picture of what will happen when Jesus Christ returns. And it is a return that stands in great contrast to the first coming or the first advent of Jesus Christ. You see, 2,000 years ago, when the word became flesh, when our heavenly king left heaven... He came into this world, didn't he, in in quietness and humility. Born not in a palace with all the pomp of, of a normal king's arrival, but born in a stable. Born not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then a week before his death, he rode into Jerusalem, not on a white horse in victory. He rode into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey. As he humbled himself to ride towards the climax of his mission to lay down his life on the cross for sinners like us. But of course we know that the death of Jesus is not the end as is so eloquently summarized for us in the apostles creed on the third day he rose again he ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of the father that is where the lord jesus resides right now as we sit here he is seated in heaven at his father's right hand he will come again to judge the living and the dead and on that day there will be nothing quiet about his coming As the Lord Jesus says himself in Luke chapter 17, verse 24, For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. And then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, look, he's coming with the clouds, this is with the glory of his Father, he's descending, he's coming, and on that day, every eye will see him, not some eyes. Jesus isn't going to turn up quietly in a corner of this globe somewhere. He's returning in glory. And every eye will see him. The return of Christ is cosmic in its proportion. And here it is, pictured before us, in glorious technicolour. I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. The white horse, as we've seen, is a, is a symbol of victory and conquest. And the rider seated on his horse is the victorious one who is coming again. This time, not only to save and to gather those who are his, but to judge the living and the dead. And in these verses, we have before us a quite wonderful picture or portrait, if you like, Of the returning king have a look at verse 12 look how he's described his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns it's a description we've seen already of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 not one thing escapes the piercing gaze of the Lord Jesus when he returns to judge his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. A picture of total authority and control. As we've seen all the way through the book of Revelation, however chaotic our world may appear, however messy life may seem right now as you're sat there, our God is still on his throne. And here he comes from heaven to reorder this broken world once and for all. Do you remember the creation narrative in Genesis when God makes the world and and darkness covered the surface of the deep? It's almost like there's some sort of chaos there until the Spirit of God descends, hovering over the waters and brings perfect order to God's creation. So here we have the Son of God descending to bring perfect order to God's creation once again. And look at what he's wearing. Verse 13. As he returns from heaven, he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. There's plenty of debate, as you can imagine, the commentaries as to whose blood this is. Is Is this Jesus' own blood, or is it the blood of those who will be trampled in the winepress of God's fury? My own personal conviction is this is the blood of Jesus himself. This is a picture of Jesus returning from heaven just before the ungodly are judged. This is how he leaves heaven. You see, the point, I think, is this. The one who comes to judge is the one who has already been judged and found guilty for our sin. The returning king is both our savior. He is marked with blood as well as our judge. And so you put these things all together and you end up with something like the artist's impression there on the screen. The rider on his white horse, his eyes blazing, crowns upon his head, a robe dipped in blood, and else we'll see the heavenly armies following in behind him. But you see, as well as this visual description that we have, we're also given four names or titles for Jesus which add even further color to our picture, to our portraits, of Jesus. Firstly, look in verse 11. We find that the rider is called faithful and true. It is a reminder of how totally dependable Jesus is. Faithful to every promise. True to every word. The one who come, who's coming is the great dependable one. And then secondly in verse 12. We learn that Jesus has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. What's the significance of this secret name? Well, the significance, I think, is this. We can only know of God what God chooses to reveal to us. And so all those people who try to work out what the secret name is, they've missed the point. We're not meant to know. We can only know what God chooses to disclose to us. And what a good reminder that is, isn't it? As we think about the eternal purposes of God, as we think about these end times, the last things, there will be some mysteries. We cannot expect to know everything. One, because we're fallen. And two, because God has not disclosed everything to us. And we need to be humble enough to accept that as we think about what the return of christ looks like and thirdly in verse 13 he's dressed in a robe dipped with blood and his name we learn is the word of god takes us right back to the beginning of john's gospel in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god the word became flesh And he made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace and truth. The eternal God became flesh. The second person of the Trinity enfleshed himself. He became a human being in order that he might die as our substitutes on the cross. That is the rider on the white horse. God himself who became flesh for our sake. And then lastly in verse 16, maybe the most familiar name from this passage that we know the Lord Jesus goes by on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, Jesus isn't just one king in a long line of kings lost somewhere in the annals of history. He's not just a lord in a long line of lords. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. And one day, every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Many will do it gladly. And we will fall at the feet of our savior. And we will embrace him. And our heart will be full of thankfulness and adoration for all eternity. Some, though, who reject the Lord Jesus in this life, they too will bow the knee. Because they'll be able to do nothing else in the presence of his uncompromising glory. The question for us, for you, for us all this morning, is have you bowed the knee today? Is Jesus your king today? As we sing in that wonderful hymn, we'll we'll close with some of these words later in the service. Crown in the Lord of heaven, enthroned in worlds above crowning the king to whom is given the wondrous name of love, crowning with many crowns as thrones before him fall, crowning ye kings with many crowns. Why? Because he is Lord of all. And he's coming back. And he's coming back in glory. And when he does, his victorious church will come with him. Have a look at verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. It's a picture of the church. It's exactly the same description you find in chapter 19, verse 8. And it makes for a pretty strange looking army, doesn't it? (laughs) This army is not dressed in combat clothes. They're dressed in party clothes. And there's not a weapon in sight. Why? Why? Because they don't need to fight. Because when Jesus returns in glory, one word of judgment from his mouth, that's the sword that comes from the mouth of the rider on the horse, one word of judgment is all it takes. And the enemy will be put down once and for all. And the church, will they make their way straight to the wedding supper of the lamb, dressed in fine linen, white and clean which has been given to them by god firstly we have this stunning picture or portrait of our returning king from heaven and with him the victorious church but secondly we see the power of the returning king as he comes in judgments Verse 17 and 18, we have our second vision as as a collection of three that begin with those same words. And I saw, and I saw, says John. What does he see? He sees an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people. Free and slave, great and small. It is a quite horrifying picture of the carnage that is left post-battle. And an angel announces it as he reflects something of the brightness and the glory of God and calls the birds of the air to come down and feast on the remains of those who stood against God like bodies scattered over a battlefield. Like a vulture picking off the remains of a dead animal. And the all there in verse 18 is a reference to all people who stand with proud Babylon against King Jesus. It's a similar picture to what we read of in verse 15. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. It's the word of God's judgment with which to strike down the nations He will rule them with an iron scepter, a quote from Psalm 2. He treads the winepress of the fury of God Almighty. And for those of you who are familiar with Psalm 2, you'll know how that psalm ends. Here's how it begins. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed. Why? Why would anyone take their stand against God Almighty and his anointed one? God's response, verse 5 and 6, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And then the father's word to the son, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Those who stand against God will be broken, dashed to pieces like pottery, like when a vase falls from a shelf and smashes on the ground. And then the birds of the air will come down and feed on their remains. It is a quite terrifying picture of final judgment. And then in verse 19, we're given our, our third vision in this section, which takes us back to the great battle of Armageddon that we looked at in chapter 16. Here we read in chapter 19, verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. Do you remember that gathering of great evil back in chapter 16? The dragon, the unholy trinity. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet, and and out of their mouths come these unclean spirits like frogs, and they're they're sent out to deceive this world, to gather as many as they can for one final assault on the throne of God and on his returning king. But once again, it's the story of the battle that never was, verse 20. But the beast was captured. That's it. The beast was captured it's over it's done and the beast along with the false prophets is thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur two of the unholy trinity disposed of into the lake of burning sulfur and satan who's the third will join them in chapter 20 verse 10 you see the book of revelation doesn't describe some some sort of cosmic battle that hangs in the balance and i'm not quite sure which way it's going to go who's going to come out on top good or evil that's not what the book of revelation is about jesus is triumphant he has already won you see the main battle isn't even armageddon we talk about that final great battle the main battle has already been fought and won at calvary That is where Satan was defeated at the cross of Christ upon Calvary. That is where the forces of evil were disarmed. And that is where God purchased for himself with the precious blood of his own son. Those to be his treasured possession for all of eternity. And that's why our returning king, as we've seen already, is dressed in a robe that is dipped in blood. What we have here isn't even a battle really. It's a mopping up exercise. As Jesus gets things ready for the party. And he returns in a robe dipped in blood. To remind us that the battle's already won. Jesus has already won at Calvary. And he's coming back soon to clean things up before heaven. And so as heaven is open to us in this Remarkable vision. Firstly, we have a a picture, a portrait of, of the returning king and what a picture it is with his victorious church following him. Secondly, we see something of the power of the returning king as he comes in judgment. But lastly, as we finish, we must ask ourselves this morning, you must ask yourselves this morning, where do you stand in relation to the returning king? Because in Revelation chapter nine we are given one of the great contrasts in the book of Revelation. We have two suppers, the wedding supper of the Lamb, described for us in verse seven to nine and the Great Supper of God in verse seventeen and eighteen. I'll look at verse seven and, and nine together. It's the church singing. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The bride is the church. The groom is Jesus. And we've been made ready to stand before Christ clothed in his own perfect righteousness. Fine linen, bright and clean verse 8 was given. It was given credited righteousness given by Jesus to his church that we might stand faultless before him. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. There's probably no better picture in all of scripture that takes us right to the heart of heaven itself. You see, heaven isn't firstly about a place. Heaven is about a person. It is about our eternal union with Christ that will be the source of unbridled blessing for all eternity. A party with Jesus. A banquet with Jesus. A feast with Jesus. A celebration with Jesus and his people that will be like no other. Think back to my wedding day. What a day it was. Best day of my life. Surrounded by family and friends who witnessed the day. And food of your choice that you've gone in and tested already. A playlist that you've devised. Got a live band in to play it. What a magnificent day. Everything in place. But you know the best bit of the wedding day? Not all the extra trimmings that came with it. But the moment I stand before Han, I look her in the eye, and I make promises before God of our lasting union together. That's what the heart of marriage is. And that's what the heart of heaven is. And you know, that day, as glorious as it was, will not be a patch It will not be a patch on the day when I stand before Jesus, I look him in the eye and he looks me in the eye. And we begin or we continue that relationship that will last for all eternity together. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. If you're in Christ this morning, you are blessed. Blessed beyond imagination. But as we read in verse 21... That glorious supper is contrasted with the great supper of God. We read about it in verse 17 and 18, and it's there again in verse 21. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. It's the judgment of God's word again. And all the birds gorge themselves on their flesh. You see, every single person who's ever lived in the history of this world will be at one of those two suppers. The wedding supper of the Lamb. Or the great supper of God. And the question for you and the question for us all is which supper will you be at? Will you be feasting in heaven? Or will you be feasted on? In hell? You see Jesus has already left heaven once. In wonderful humility. His first advent. And he came. And he came to die. My place. On the cross with my sin. And he rose again to new life. And he opened up the gates of heaven. And he beckons this world to come to him. And find life. And life in all its fullness. And he's coming back. That's what we've read about this morning. He's not staying in heaven. Jesus... Is coming back. And he's not only coming back to save. And to gather his church for that great banquet in heaven. He's coming back to bring full and final justice. And so the question remains. When he comes. Not if. When he comes. Will you be with him? Or will you be against him? Because there's no neutrality when it comes to Christ. We will either be with Jesus. Or we will be against him. And so as we respond, I'd like to invite the band just to come up and, and play and sing quietly. We're gonna, we're gonna sing one song and you can not just, just sit there and reflect, but there's, there's questions I think we all need to ask ourselves in our heart this morning. If you're sat there and you've not yet accepted the invites to the wedding supper of the lamb, could I ask you to think about doing so this morning? Trusting Christ for the first time. And if you already know you're going to be at that great wedding supper, if you trusted Christ, if you know what your eternity looks like, then could I ask you to pray earnestly for the next few minutes for those who have not yet accepted that invite, for those maybe in the room, or for loved ones outside this room, for our community, for holiday club, for all the opportunities we get, that people would stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ on that final day, because Jesus is
0: coming back. So let's take this song to respond uh, in our own hearts.